Hi, I'm Alison from Wiggly Wigglers and I bring to you your weekly chunk of country life with Heather and Richard. To describe this whole experience, I'm going to read to you our latest review from Crazy Shoes on iTunes. Hooray! Real people, real life, five stars. I encourage you to listen to this healthy, hearty bunch from rural England, wax lyrical about all things wiggly, stinky and bloomy, down on the farm. So... (laughs) Before you decide if the good life is for you, take time to listen in to all the contradictions that make up our countryside. Even if you're a staunch townie or a country bumpkin, this could be your weekly fix of rural fun and facts. I've got some facts from past shows. We found out how farmers use magnets in their cow's bellies. We found out how Claire Short pickles her kitchen waste. And we found out how to understand TB from the badger's point of view, the farmer's point of view, the cattle's point of view, and the human's point of view. Mm. But on this day, I will reveal what's on offer at a garden party at Buckingham Palace, because you cut me out from telling you about it last (laughs) week. And Ricardo has been fishing for the one and only Few Fernley Whitting store. Not actually fishing for him, obviously, but going fishing for... Fish for him. Exactly. Monty's Wormcast is back and Monty and I head off to Richards to hunt for one sort of worm or other. Farmer Phil's stuck on his combine so we have a roving Ricardo report straight from the cab next week. And Rich, I thought for the farmers out there I could give a quick report on the yields. Mm, that'd be interesting. So, 160 acres of barley have been harvested at Lower Blakemere and the yield is two and three quarter tonnes an acre which is disappointing. Average yield is three and a quarter tonne. What about on your farm, Al? I'm not sure. I think they're down a bit this year, but uh, it's quite good to tell listeners the yields because a lot of farmers listen. And my brother certainly says, oh, I wonder what farmer Phil's yield is. (laughs) It'd be good to know about the others. Well, he thinks the yield is down because of the cold and drought in the spring. And obviously now we've got a drought. The straw is fine and there's a record price on straw at the moment. Garnons, which is a local estate, have averaged £52 an acre for over 600 acres. And last year, this farm sold all our straw for £35 an acre. It's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's because everyone's barns are empty because the winter was long. Ah, yeah. Grass seed, 75 acres have been combined out of 190 and the yield is very good. Very happy grass story. So you can find out more about that when Richard climbs the combine steps. Takes my with his twisted knee. Yeah, (laughs) should be good. Last Thursday, Monty and I went on a wiggly field trip as invited by Richard, to his home to search for glowworms. And now's the right time of year to search for glowworms, I think, Rich. Yeah, I think July's the best month. You certainly see more glowworms at this time of year. I think we've, we've seen them at home between June and September. But yeah, July is definitely the peak month. And a good excuse to get the Wiggly Mini out, the roof off, nice late summer's evening, and off we go with Monty's glowworm field trip report. to Richards and it's nine o'clock at the moment. We're almost there to see a glowworm. Oh yeah, let's sit down. 
George, come and sit down. Sit We're down. with the dogs on top of the field. What the dogs called, Mum? Um, George and who is it, Richard? George and what's the other one called? Yeah. Something and Jill. Something and Jill went up the hill. Jack and Jill. <laughs> Jack and Jill. So it's Jack and George, isn't it? Jack and George. Jack and George. Yeah, Jack. You see all these berries on here, Monty. You see yeah. George is trying to pick these. When, when we were kids, we used to call them bunny berries. They, <laughs> oh, they'd stick to the fur of animals. Too. I had them. And they're called sweethearts. Sweetheart. Do you know what they are, though? Do you know what plant? Because wigglers sell these plants. It's agrimony. When the animals brush past them, they get covered in oh, these, yeah. and they think really effective I get them way of stuck all over spreading my... the seed. Yeah, you will. So well, maybe you'll, you know, because you're kind of fairly low to ground, yeah, aren't you? So I suppose you'll get covered in them as well. Hey, don't shave my hair. Yeah, yeah. We can see. Um, we can see Markle Martin. Ridge, can't we? Yeah. And then, what can we see? What's all this area here? So your Blakemere is based over that way. Yeah. And this is all the Herefordshire Plateau. So the Herefordshire Plateau starts down there, by, by the church. And we seem to be about the highest point. Yeah. Uh, no, this is one of the highest points. This is the top of Common Hill. And then all that down there is the Y Valley AOMB. There's one right way down there. Outstanding beauty. That's it. What's so fun about the meadow? What's so fun about the meadow? Well, this meadow, it's on calcareous, it's calcareous grassland, so it's on really impoverished soil. So the soil is very, very thin, not much nutrient in there at all, which is why you see that the grasses are um, quite low, quite mm. small, very dense, aren't they? More um, plants, doesn't it? Gets more plants, very good, well done. It is, it's more biodiverse. You get a lot more flowers because I don't have to compete with the grasses so much. Because you know, in some of Daddy's fields, the grass is very thick, isn't it? Because yeah. the grass is grown purposely for mm. animal feed and you know, hay and silage and whatnot, so it has to be very thick. But you don't get many flowers as a result. Mm. Whereas up here, very difficult to manage it other than by grazing with sheep and whatnot. Uh, and so the grass doesn't get that thick and as a consequence you get all sorts of lovely flowers growing in like like agrimony and you've got perforate St John's wort perforate St John's wort That's it. it has lovely little yellow flowers on it quite tiny this yellow, is quite tiny but in a, in a nutritious soil it would be you know twice that size and the leaves would wow. be much 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 bigger that's about four centimeters and you get clovers you see all these they look a bit like thistle heads. Do you know what those are called? They're quite tiny here, but you've got a lot in your garden at home. Mm. A lot in the Wiggly garden. Oh, and They're yeah. much, much taller. Jenny said they were too tall. <laughs> at the weekend, said so they shouldn't be that tall. Do you know what those are called? It's a lesser napweed, and it's really good for bugs. They love it. Mm. Very rich in all sorts of bug fodder. So that's the head of the napweed that's turned to seed. Because whilst mm. all these flowers are perennials, do you know what perennial is? No. Well, perennial is a plant that lives for more than one year, but they still need to seed and then spread themselves around. Oh. So an annual, do you know what an annual plant is? An annual book? Annual, yeah, mm. it's same thing, same kind of principle, yeah. See, a plant that lives for a year. Like a poppy? Oh, like the annual Beano book, 2006. Indeed, absolutely. Um, why don't you tell the listeners what you saw on the way up under the tin? When we were coming up, Richard was looking for something under the tin roofs and we were looking for a slow worm. Then we looked a bit further along and then we found one. And Richard, what's it like being a slow worm? 
What's it like? <laughs> <laughs> you should know this, really. Yeah, yeah. I should, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're very, very good. You're just giving your mum all this ammunition, Monty. It is yeah, so I appreciate it. A slow, slithery worm that comes out from under a piece of tin. It's not very slimy. Yeah, not slimy No, no, not slimy. No slimy. Yes, go on, Rich. Yeah, I mentioned that the tails break off. Sometimes when you grab hold of them from the tail, it's like an escape mechanism for them. And if a crow or a fox or a cat or something grabbed hold of one, and the tail might snap off, and they leave the tail behind, which kind of thrashes around frantically, and the slow worm wiggles his way and disappears and makes good his escape. And the tail keeps on moving for ages. You know, whilst the slow worm doesn't really suffer any ill effects, it's pretty unpleasant to put them through that, because it does cause them quite a lot of stress. So it's always worth avoiding handling them, but if you do handle them, to handle them in the uppermost part of the bodies, so as you don't snap the tail off. Near the heads. Near the heads, yeah. And it's not them actually gently. a worm, is it, Rich? No, it's not. It's, it's a, like a slug, isn't it? It's, like, <laughs> it's a, a legless lizard uh, and it's nicely a snake even though they look more like snakes than they do lizards but the heads are very very tiny but they're big enough to consume massive quantities of slugs there's a nice view up here there is a nice view up here yeah yeah what's the river you can see down there river y, river y. do you ever go down the y close to home sometimes yeah, yeah. so right, what are we waiting for team well waiting for the dark Waiting for the dark. Why are we waiting for the dark? Because we're going to see the slow worms and they only come right not slow worms. night. What, which oh, one it's it? not slow worms, glow worms. So what are they? If a slow worm's a legless lizard, what's a glow worm, Rich? And they're more like a... A, a legless kind of, bulb. They're more like a beetle and then anything else. They're sort of segmented, incredibly slow-moving, fat, unfortunate creatures, really. <laughs> Well, they haven't done so well, I guess, you know, in, a, you know, in the big scheme of things. He you know. me now, yeah, yeah. that's it. They're green as well. No, no. Green no, and no. fat. No, no. Green, fat. No, you don't look anything like a woodland. Thank you. We'll get a torch and then we'll try and illuminate one as well. A bit and later. why do they glow then? They glow to attract a mate. And, it, and it's the females that glow, of course. And then the males are flying around looking for a mate. And then they'll see their derriere, the female, and they'll drop down and they'll, they'll mate with them. Fly. Male glowworms fly. Yeah. As in lots of cases, the males are a lot more animated and they move a lot more than the females. <laughs> right. We're heading down the bank. Here now, okay. Can't hear any owls. a bit early yet. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Right, so what we can see is a kind of a, well, fluorescent light. It's like a maggot. You can just about see the division. Yeah, they've got like little... Like segments. Kind of move, yeah, segments. Yeah. So you can just about see that little segment that divides it. Yeah, it's like a worm. You can see two little eyes. Look, you can see two little green eyes. It's amazing, isn't it? So he's kind of hanging on. What was he doing then, Rich? Well, oh, he's a she. It's a she. She's crawled up to the top of a, a, well, a dead stalk, and this is why they quite like long grasses because they can elevate their derrieres really. And, get up, <laughs> and she's twisted her abdomen up. She's obviously illuminated herself, but she's there trying to attract a mate by having this little tiny light that is essentially in a really dark bank. I think she's going out now. Turn the light off, and you see. No, she doesn't. That's amazing. Yeah, I wonder if there's any. There will be some more. Oh! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah, there's one. Oh, yeah, there's one.
And is this unusual to see this many glowworms then? It is. It is unusual. They uh, they like areas like this that's relatively well neglected in actual mm. fact. And and also these these kind of south facing areas. I'm not quite sure why they like south facing areas, but perhaps it's because it's the, the warmth that they need. But but they like to be again. They're in banks, um, roadside banks, because they can emit enough light to attract a mate. And how long will she keep? this light going i've seen these lights for several hours throughout the night they, really? don't, they don't go all night but for several hours yeah and so somewhere around here the the males will be flying yeah yeah looking out for this so you do see them right up through here right up around common hill there are glowworms but this is the best place to see them but what do you think mum really good that sounds like a lot of fun, you guys, at Richard's Place over the other side of Hereford. Um, I've never actually seen them. Uh, we certainly haven't got them on our farm. Would you just see them normally, Rich? Or? So they're like little light specks in the ground, so you can see them because you've got this dark bank, pitch black, and then suddenly as you're walking along you might see a little tiny light that glows up from the bank. And it looks completely out of place, and you think, well, what on earth is that there? It looks just like a little isotope stick that you'd you know, snap yeah. and put on the end of a fishing rod or something. Well, why would they be at your place then? Really? Well, they, like, uh, they, they particularly favour calcareous grasslands, so impoverished soils, because again, they're in a situation where the grass isn't too dense. So once they crawl up something like a, a, you know, a, a napweed, then the males that fly over can see them in the ground. They eat um, slugs and snails. Oh, they're it's, so it's, tiny. They are tiny. What they do, they've got little mandibles. Obviously, they don't need to move particularly fast to catch up with a slug or a snail. But what they can do is they can latch on and then they'll suck the juices from the slugs and snails. What is interesting is sometimes a big old common garden snail may well survive an attack by a glowworm because they can afford to lose some of the juices. So the glowworm will attach itself and sup away for a, a, an hour or so and then release its quarry and go off about its own business again. The snail will do exactly the same thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, the three segments are sort of fluorescent green. How does she manage to light up? Well, Michael's told us all this this morning, hasn't he, from his, from his school days. <laughs> so how, I don't know if anybody could remember a chemical process from, your, from as far ago as your school days, especially as far ago as uh, Michael's school days must have been. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's, it's a combination. I think ultimately it's a combination of luciferase and deciferin. Uh, the deciferase is a, an enzyme, so you have a, a sort of a... Uh, which acts as a catalyst, and it's fueled by the body's energy molecule, which is uh, adenosine triphosphate, and ultimately that combination makes it makes it glows. The open day was last Sunday, and we had record visitors. Rich, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Really oh, we had a great day, didn't yeah, we? It was a good day. We had about 273 visitors. Phil talked about how the combine worked, which was quite a popular event. Yeah. I think he had about 40 people. To... Yeah, a lot of interest in the old combine. Yeah. How did the pond dipping go? Really good. We found all sorts of goodies. Things turn up. So you get slightly different creatures every time you do it. And we did have a massive ram's horn snail, which was you know, probably two and a half centimetres across. Beast. And quote of the day came in from Pip who was on car parking duty, mm. and a lady drove round the field and came back to him and said, unfortunately, she couldn't find a space. <laughs> and how big's the car park? 50 acres. <laughs> <laughs> so he parked yeah. the car for her in between the bales. 
just so that it was a nice space for human her. conditioning, wasn't it? <laughs> and it was great because we had people from all over the country. We had a coach trip from McCunthlith. Yeah, they were a nice uh, bunch, weren't they? Ladies who lunch, I think. Ladies who lunch, yeah, WI from McCunthlith. They came a bit earlier, didn't they? Because they, they had a bit of a jolly, bit of a day trip. And how long was your talk supposed to be to them, Rich? As long as it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think they came for a half an hour talk, Al, yeah. and yeah. after an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> I, had to go and do I my went to look for them, <laughs> and they were still there. <laughs> uh, I had to cut it short. They kept. They Several were there. asleep, but they were still there. <laughs> <laughs> Sun baking down on them, poor ladies. Oh no, they were in the pavilion. Oh yeah, and we had people from Birmingham, Oxford, Newport, and the record was London. And the lady from London had actually had over a guy from Hamburg, who then she brought from London up to here so that was great fun wow. and we got to meet the folks from i flood e-i-e-f-l-u-d from leicestershire and they have the most wonderful perfume and soap blog and i'm about to try out their perfume countryman which has got a fantastic review and they grow all their ingredients in their farmhouse garden so oh, wow. she and i had a really good chat about all things floral excellent more news from Wigglies this week. We've been shortlisted for the Alternative Enterprise in the Farmers Weekly. And it's the Wiggly sale, which is on till the end of September. If you want to take advantage of this podcast listener, use the code FCJ66 and you'll get 10% off everything except postage and packing. And now we have the podcast high of this week. Over to you, Ricardo. Well, amazingly enough, you went onto iTunes and found out that the fantastic Wiggly logo, the Wiggly icon, is on the home page of the iTunes. It is. Have you seen it, Al? Yeah, we're famous at last. <laughs> it's great. Great news for Wiggly. We're, we're alongside the BBC, which has 55 podcasts enclosed within their icon, and Channel 4. Wow, that's a real big one. Isn't yeah, it? it's good stuff, isn't it? Exciting stuff. And it makes it really easy for people to access. Yeah. So we've got lots more listeners this week, listener, besides just you. So hello to all you new people. And if you'd like to keep us there, we think that we're there because we've got such great reviews. So it would be lovely if you would go and make some positive comment on the iTunes in the review section. We've got an average of four and a half stars in the reviews. Yeah, it's not, it's not an accurate indication though, is it? Because I think we've got seven five-star reviews and one four-star review. And the four-star review was right from the beginning. I think we just had a little quiet week on the sound. So really, it should be five stars. So anyway, it doesn't matter, does it? If no. you'd like to review us, please go to iTunes and that would be utterly wonderful. So from one nice surprise to another, you had a nice little adventure last week, didn't you? I did, Rich. I got to go to Buckingham Palace with Farmer Phil because he's a Prince's Trust (laughs) mentor. And so we were invited. I had imagined that it would be, you know, he and I, perhaps a couple of others and perhaps the Queen. But it was actually 5,000 other people. (laughs) But not to worry, not to worry. They're all dressed up in their finest. And I wanted to share with you what you have for tea Yep. A Buckingham Palace, so I don't think many people will know this. Probably not. Guess. Oh, champagne and lobster? No. No? Oh, um, oysters and caviar? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, cheese and lettuce sarnies? 
close <laughs> cucumber and a cup of tea. Oh, well, that's reasonable, isn't it? Refreshing, cucumber isn't it? sandwiches, yeah. Refreshing. Very nice, nice it was. Yeah. For a summer's evening. And a bit of Victoria sponge. That's very nice. Was it nice, moist Victoria sponge? Very tasty Victoria sponge, but not as good as Ricky's, of course. Did you? So you enjoyed your day anyway? Yes, and Jenny Steele, yeah, the author of our Jenny book, Banner, was you? there. Mm. Yeah, And we all queued around the lawn to see Camilla and Prince Charles. Oh, OK. But Worth you, a trip off. Yeah, that's a good experience. But yours is more exciting, I think. Well, I don't know whether it was more exciting. We, we went to, um, down to River Cottage headquarters for a bit of a, a Hugh Fernley and Friends evening. It was a treat for Sarah, really. You like Hugh Fernley with yeah, Crystal, don't you? Great, yeah. yeah it's, it's for those really people who haven't heard of him, which can't be many, just describe what he is. Well, he's a chap. He did a series on, on Channel 4. It started several years ago now, called River Cottage. He's not a chef, but he's really a kind of a guy that's got really involved in country matters. So he yeah. wants to cook his own food, catch his own food, grow his own food. And uh, he harvests his pigs and his sheep and his vegetables. He goes out and catches eels in the local stream, shoots rabbits, makes bunny baps, all that kind of stuff. And it makes for good TV, certainly. But also it's kind of fighting a corner for rural issues, you know, raising awareness about the significance of local food production, etc. Of course, which is part of what we do through this podcast. But he is a nice persona, you know, he's, he's, he's generally he's got a very pleasant demeanour and, and I think, and certainly, you know, you watch lots of TV people and you think, oh, well, you know, whatever, but um, Sarah was, is quite taken with him. So, uh, so it's, but as a bit of a treat this summer, as soon as we, you know, at work and everything else, and we thought, right, we need to get away a couple of days, so... Uh, a, a while ago, I looked at River Cottage website, and there's obviously quite a long wait for these events. But they let you know when there's a chance of, of going down there. So, uh, so as soon as they let me know, I booked it up, and off we went down to the, the evening. So you get down there, and you have these lovely little canapes and wander around the garden. Hang on a minute, is River Cottage like it is on the telly? No, it's well, the little River Cottage, of course, where most of the filming does in the early days, doesn't feature. That's not where he is now. Oh, actual fact, did you know that? He's moving oh, again. Know that to the other side of Lyme Regis. But we went down there and Hugh was there. In actual fact, he was there handing out some canapes and there were some really nice little treats all made up from material from the garden but they also do these kind of fishing trips. And so they, were, they used a lot of the fish that they catch on these fishing trips as well for the meals and we had beautiful mackerel. And we even had some pouting, which powder, when you catch them, you think, well, I'll try them. But it's very difficult to get anything out of them. The meat tends to be of a poor quality. But what Hugh was saying is if you're going fishing for these things, which is absolutely right, then you should try and make use of them because in actual fact, when you get packed to surface, their guts tend to blow in their eyes or pop and whatnot. So they're going to die anyway if you let them go. So it's good to do something with them. So they made these beautiful little treats with, um, with kind of grated pouting in, in effect. And they were so tasty. So these guys toiling away in the kitchen and we sat down on these long tables and then we had this kind of discussion, you know, this audience with Hugh and he had a couple of mates. He had Nick Fisher sat to his right. Nick Fisher did Screaming Reels in a TV programme a few years ago. And I I've done a bit that. of filming with Great. Nick Fisher. You said, yeah. He came here and I delivered worms to the lion and uh, he filmed it. Yeah. Uh, on screaming wheels. Oh right! Oh fantastic! Oh that's interesting. Yeah, so the lion, of course, is up here at Breadwardine, and it's it's a bit of a landmark for for a lot of fishermen that go fishing on these reaches of the Wye. Yeah, salmon fishing years ago, and now more barbel fishing. Yeah. Oh wow! But he seemed like a nice bloke as well, very chatty and whatnot. So they, so it was an opportunity for the audience to talk to Nick and Hugh, and then he had his other friend who I've forgotten what he was called but this chap who looks after his garden and whatnot so he's this kind of gardening guru 
people were asking a few you know a few steady questions about this and that talking about maggoty peas and things and I thought wow they need live enough of it <laughs> so so in an attempt to make everyone laugh and, and it obviously worked is I, um, I, I talked about a couple of points I talk, they were talking a bit about TB and of course having this great knowledge that I've got for, for, from listening to Farmer Phil I thought I'd get a few points in about badgers and TB and how the badger populations are looked after at Blakemere and whatnot, and uh, and the fact that people were talking about hedgehogs and how they were worried about their losing their hedgehog in fact badgers eat quite a lot of hedgehogs so we have lots of badgers very few hedgehogs and, and also there was a point that I picked up because Sarah's followed a few of Hugh's recipes now one a few years ago that we followed was a, a puffball stuff with pigeon breast thought I've got to try that I was just in a situation where we were living at the bottom of an orchard and the orchard was full of puffballs so I went and picked a couple of puffballs and cooked this recipe up exactly to you know to the specifications in the book and it was disgusting <laughs> it was foul it was absolutely foul and I said to Hugh so were some of these recipes in your book because you like them or are they sort of in there for effect <laughs> and he was rattling on and saying about why he'd done this way and why he'd done things in this way and that way but he wouldn't answer the question so I kept saying you haven't answered the question you haven't answered the question so because it's made everybody laugh and in the end he did admit to saying that well in actual fact that particular recipe it did remind him of boiled socks so went to avoid but yeah really really good evening well worth going I would say that if anybody wants to go it's, it's an interesting thing it lacks any pretension you know it's all very genuine the, the team that they've got down there cooking and stuff are fastidious really warm and welcoming but you've had to have the day off this week Rich yeah well as things as, uh, transpired I had, I had a rattle with you and, and Nick Fisher about fishing obviously Xander fishing I remember Nick Fisher did a, did a little show with Neville Fickling years ago about Xander fishing and I invited them up to stay with us they wanted to do some Xander fishing I'll take them on the 7 and anyway got a call last weekend and it was one of the guys on their team Catherine and they wanted some Xander what are Xander well Xander a bit like they're um, in, in North America they would be very similar to walleye so any American listeners will uh, immediately know what they are walleye incredibly tasty fish Xander they do farm on the continent extensively farm them beautiful tasting fish they look a bit like a cross between a pike and a perch they're not. They're their own specific species, their own separate species entirely. And they've got nice, very, very attractive, like sh- shiny metallic scales, quite rough, big spiky dorsal fins, and a, quite a long, pronounced snout with a few lovely sharp teeth. Uh, but their numbers are increasing quite dramatically in some of our waterways in the UK. So I've got a bit of a passion to go fishing for Xander. Not only do they taste good, but they look fantastic. So I know I was talking about this, and they, they rang me up and they said they want a couple of Xander to use for a, a demonstration on Friday. Oh, so, no so pressure, then. Pressure was on. <laughs> the pressure was on. So <laughs> I thought, right, it's got to be Tuesday night, isn't it? At this time of year, Xander tend to feed at night. You, know, you won't catch them in the daytime. So it's a question of having to go at night. I, I enjoy going at night, but logistically it can be difficult if you've got to work the day after etc and stay awake you know and what not <laughs> I know you think I spend most of my day asleep anyway but yeah I do <laughs> <laughs> so Tuesday night Sarah and I got our stuff together and uh, we, I did a talk first I, did a, I had to do a talk didn't I for Wigglies with, uh, at a uh, Linton Gardening Club a lovely bunch in actual fact but straight not after, now Rich straight just after carry the talk, on mate yeah, straight after the talk <laughs> got on the M50 straight down to the 7 we, uh, we, we wandered down to the riverbank got all our stuff set up and got Sarah's bed chair out and everything a little sleeping bag to tuck her up in there for the night and uh, <laughs> we took one of the dogs with us and I set the rods up I was expecting big things and usually you get a run about 11.30, 12 o'clock you know you can expect a run first fish of the night nothing 
Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning. Finally, I had a run. Because all these things were going on. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to catch anything. You know, I'm going to let these people down now. After having said, oh, yeah, you know, I catch all these Xander on the river and everything. Anyway, four o'clock in the morning. Dink, boop, boop, boop. Off the, the, uh, the bobbin went. Of course, what I'd done, stupidly, I'd left one of my electronic bite alarms, my little mercury tilt switches at home. So what I'd had to do is glue myself to one of my drop-off indicators. I guarantee you, when you get a run, it's always going to be the one that's not on the electric bite alarm. Just so, a minute. <laughs> and I'm the, what? You're not know, in the literal sense. Oh. But, uh, you know, kind of watch it. I couldn't take my oh, eyes I off see. it. So I'm there with my beady eyes looking at this thing. super glue. <laughs> no, no. Right. No, 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 it just... Off it went. And I went down to the rod and oof, struck into this fish. I thought, oh, it's a big fish, you know, it's a great fish. And uh, as I brought it up to the bank, I had half a tree attached to the... There was all to, the, the, the fish obviously sort of tangled around this submerged branch in the river because the seven's terrible for all sorts of flotsam and jetsam. Anyway, got this thing in, got it in the net, scooped it up and thought, yes, <laughs> mission, <laughs> mission achieved. I was just chuffed to bits because I really did think I was, wasn't going to catch anything. You know, typical fishing, you say, yeah, yeah, you can do it. And then, you know, the fish don't play. Uh, and in this, and in actual fact, this time of year, because it's been so hot, Fish aren't feeding. They're a bit like us, you know. They, they haven't got much of an appetite. So, I, in many respects, I was kind of lucky to catch the one. So, anyway, we got it on ice straight away, and we got back home the early hours of yesterday morning. And I packed it in a nice polystyrene box, covered it in some uh, in some uh, frozen bottles of ice, and they sent a courier up yesterday to come and pick it up. And off it went down to Dorset. So I'm kind of hoping that it will have been it, it signed for at Harbour State this morning. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah. Oh, our hero! No, oh, our fishing hero, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Should we put our order in now, please? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so, going to go again Saturday night. So, if anybody wants any. <laughs> so, just a little technical detail: size of fish? Uh, it's only about four pounds. How many meals will that make for Hugh? Uh, well, it's because they're using it for demonstration. I'm not sure that he's probably going to. I mean, he's probably going to hand them out, but I imagine he'll probably hand out perhaps little canapes or something made out of them. But obviously, small portions for people to try. But a four-pound fish is probably that fish was about 18 inches long, probably four inches height, I guess, something like that, four or five inches height. So, you know, it's a nice size fish. If it had been any smaller, or if it had been half that size, then it would have been disappointing. But in actual fact, those are a good size for eating. Three, four pounders, beautiful eating size. So happy eating, Hugh, <laughs> from Ricardo. That is wonderful. We've got time for Monty's Wormcast, so over we go to Monty. He's back with Wormcast of the Week. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fight on worms. One Filipino species of earthworm is bright blue. Wow, that was great. Thanks very much, Monty. I think I've learnt quite a lot about glowworms uh, this week. Very interesting, folks. Well done. We've got to do a wrap because Richard has waxed lyrical for so long on the Rural Wiggly podcast <laughs> that we've run out of time. So... If you'd like to email Richard, you can at... Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk If you want to talk about plants, you can email Alison at... Alison at wigglywigglers.co.uk And for anything else, Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk will do fine. Next week, we have the first podcast from a combine cab with Farmer Phil. So we'll speak to you then, dear listener. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.